Welcome to series two of Depollution from Salvage Wire. In this podcast, we interview interesting and inspiring leaders to discuss issues that are facing the vehicle salvage and the vehicle recycling industries, along with other leaders who can challenge and inspire us all. In this episode, we welcome Jeff Haltrek of Call to Recycle. Jeff is working on electric mobility battery recycling. Listen in for a very interesting conversation that focuses on battery recycling, leadership, and more. So Jeff, welcome to the Depollution Podcast. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us. As a way of introduction, can you tell us a little bit about yourself, your career, uh, who you who you have worked for, and your current role? Yeah, for sure, uh, Andy. Thanks for having me on the uh, this conversation here on the podcast. Uh, so I'm based out of Toronto uh, in Canada um, for your international audience. Uh, I've always been uh, based here in Canada, grew up in Montreal, uh, have lived in uh, Vancouver as well, and in the last many uh, decades here in, uh, in Toronto. Um, you know, like what, what motivates me, what has driven me over my career, um, it, to, to me, it's a simple desire to leave anything that I work on in a better place than when I, when I arrived. Um, I, I find businesses and the teams that work in those businesses, they need to be continuously nurtured, if you will. And, and I love that, um, wh- whether it's the business strategy, whether it's people development, whether it's innovation, whether it's bringing companies together. I'm good at those things. Uh, I thrive off of them. And I find it a challenge to help chart a new path forward for the company and for, for the people. Um, you know, I, when you look at my career, <laughs> There's an interesting thing happening here. My first job was with Valvoline Motor Oil, selling motor oil and antifreeze for the internal combustion engine. And here I am three decades later, putting a network together to recycle electric vehicle, electric bike, electric scooter batteries. And, and so maybe, maybe that was the start and this is gonna be a, a beautiful, beautiful end. Um, I, I definitely love, uh, love the car, um, but I also love how people shop, how people buy, what motivates them to, to acquire and use things. Um, you know, when you look at a career, mine in particular, I think we all start off in our career doing things for ourselves. Um, we we want to be successful. We want to be heroes. We want to be the, the one that accomplishes something big. I, I mean, I could tell you that that was me, but I realized as I moved into different roles, higher role, more senior roles, if you will, different companies, you start to realize it's not about you. It, it's actually about the problems that you're solving. It's about the people that you're working with. It's about the needs of the business. And so, so I shifted. And now, uh, you know, I'm, I'm really driven by this, this whole idea of how do we leave what we touch in a much, much better place. So, you know, look at Call to Recycle, where I'm at right now. Um, and I've, I've been with this organization for eight years, uh, about uh, seven of them on the board, um, eight to nine years now. Uh, the last two working for the company in this space of uh, electric mobility, battery recycling. It's, it's an amazing organization. It has strong leadership. It knows what it's doing. My role here is to expand the company's capabilities to include things specifically needed for electric vehicles, electric bikes, electric scooters. Um, and, and, you know, well, this company will evolve and it'll be in a stronger place, even though it's in a great place today. So can you explain what Call to Recycle actually does? Yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, 
So call the recycle, I, you know, the company at, at its heart is a, it, it recycles batteries. Um, the purpose here is to help industries solve for what to do with their batteries when they, they're at midlife or, or end of life. Uh, we operate one of the largest, maybe even the, the largest uh, collection networks in North America. So it, that includes collecting the batteries, sorting, transporting, uh, recycling the batteries. And, and more recently, it includes diagnostics and second life applications for the EV market. Um, what makes us cool and kind of stands us out is we're a nonprofit organization. Like we, we do real commercial work, um, but we're a nonprofit. That gives us a little bit more of a stronger purpose for the people and what we do. Um, tied to this, so, so low cost operation is, is critical. That would be number one. Um, simple to operate. That's uh, when we do our surveys of our clients. That's the top thing that always comes back is you guys are easy to work with. You, you don't make it complicated. And then safety, um, you know, we, we operate under R2 certified protocols. We use UN rated shipping containers. We have cell block, which is a fire retardant material that, that we use in um, a number of our containers for damaged and defective uh, products. Um, and, and we operate as a network. So uh, we don't own any of the assets. We are the master coordinator and we help pull together the product manufacturers, dealer networks, retailers, municipalities, if you will, um, industry, the processors, the recyclers, um, into one program that's, that's end, end to end. Um, and I, I think, you know, the, the numbers we've collected kind of speak for themselves. Uh, it's, it's, 100, it's over 170 million pounds of batteries since the company started in 1994 in Atlanta and uh, 1997 in Toronto. And, and for clarity, this is any, any type of battery. This is household, yeah. industrial, all sorts, yeah? Yeah, you know, thanks for, for mentioning that. So, um, yes, we, we collect pretty much every chemistry. So whether it's alkaline, um, carbon zinc, nickel metal hydride, lithium, um, single, you know, solid state lead acid, we, we will collect them all. The industries we work with, um, household batteries, uh, power tool batteries, cell phone, laptop. Um, and, and now as we get into the automotive space, uh, the electric vehicle batteries, e-bikes, I've talked about that, mentioned it. Um, and in um, industry, uh, whether it's an industrial operator or a retail operator who happens to generate batteries or wants to collect batteries on behalf of their clients, we are uh, the collection um, yeah. choice, if you will. Yeah. And, and from what you've just said, obviously, you're based, you're based in, in Canada, but the company is working in both Canada and the USA. Yes. Yes, yeah. we do. Um, so it, it's two, this is really interesting, too. It, it's two separate companies at this point. It started as one out of Atlanta. It uh, expanded to Canada for all the right reasons. And then we, we got to a point in the mid 2010s where um, due to the need for different governance based upon different country needs, um, we, the Canada separated into its own not-for-profit. Um, but we share backroom operations uh, mm -hmm. between the two companies. And we, we will look at North America as, as individual Canada versus U.S. when needed, but we also look at it as one continent when you need to flow batteries crisscross um, the borders. Yeah. And the expertise that you've built up over a long time dealing with household and uh, power tool and, and phone batteries and stuff like that, how does that then work into the EV um, space? What, what can you bring from from your expertise in, into the electric vehicle space? Yeah, for sure. Um, a couple areas. Let, let's start with safety, because um, I, I, I'm a firm believer in safety, as many companies are. 
Um, batteries um, at, to varying degrees, depending on the chemistry, are hazardous materials. And some have um, higher thresholds of burn versus the others, but you got to take it all seriously from a safety point of view. So our, um, our transportation certificates are critical to our operation. It is part of um, our, our core competitive advantage. And um, that, whether you're moving a power tool battery or you're moving an electric vehicle battery, is, is the same thing. Now, your precautions might be different. Um, EV batteries definitely carry more charge, and you're going to have different types of materials in those things. But the premise around taking a safe approach is identical. Um, in the e-bike business that we, we have just set up, um, we're using different shipping containers. Um, but again, it's the same approach to how you're going to put the batteries in there, how you're going to handle them, how you're going to seal them, how you're going to transport them. Uh, the second thing is that they, the network. Um, they, there are the, the processors that exist in North America, they exist. And we work with all of them. And you need to understand their fortes by chemistry, by geographic location, by um, their capacity. And so that network for us existed. And now we are going to be moving the light vehicle electric batteries and the full car electric batteries in that same network um, based upon that, that same premise. The relationships already exist. Amazing, amazing. And we hear reports, obviously, that sort of you know, batteries of batteries being recycled. And we know that uh, you know, lead acid batteries, pretty much all of that battery is, is, is able to be recycled. Um, what sort of percentages of recyclability are, are, are we seeing in some of these, some of the newer technology that's coming through? Yeah, so the, the recycling rate, Actually, you know what, Let, let's break this into two parts, collection rate versus um, recycling recovery rates. Uh, you know, what percentage of batteries that go into market come out of market? Uh, the, the car starter batteries, lead acid that you talk about, absolutely, you know, 95 to 100% uh, recovery rate on that because it's an amazing closed loop system. But I would also say that household batteries are, you know, pretty good, uh, 45 to 50% collection rate in Canada at this point. The modeling we've done for e-bikes shows that once this program comes up to full speed, you know, between today and about four years out, that'll reach 60% recovery rates. Um, so I, th I think these are good. You know, when I look at Europe, um, you know, the top end is 65% for e-bikes. So I, I think the collection rates are absolutely moving in the right direction in North America and Canada in particular. When you, when you talk about recovery rates, this is an interesting conversation because now you're getting into pyrometallurgical versus hydrometallurgical processing. Um, you know, the, each one has its benefit and each one in North America has a unique geographic area that they draw from. So pyrometallurgical uses heat to separate the metals. And, and I'm staying simplistic here at this moment, but it, it uses heat to separate the metals. Your recovery rate is 50 to 80%. Hydrometallurgical is a new technology into North America over the last four years. We have three companies currently um, that are operating Lithion, Lifecycle, Redwood, um, and, and there you could get 95% recovery of the, um, of the metals, but it uses an aqueous um, leaching type of uh, process, which is fine and it's all good. The, the difference here is that pyrometallurgical can take a number of different chemistries into that process all at once. You could, you could have some nickel metal hydride, some lithium, alkaline, whereas hydrometallurgical, you want to keep it clean and pure. And quite frankly, if you could have... And, and, don't hold me to this number, but let's just say, you know, I want 20, my capacity is 20 batteries processed at once. If I could have all 20 batteries from the same vehicle model, that'll give you your cleanest output. 
So, so how do you work with these in North America starts to become the question. And I think the answer is lies in transportation costs, Andy, mm -hmm. the, you know, to the cost of moving a battery across North America, which is a huge continent can equal up to 60% of the total cost of handling that whole battery, including its recycling. So, so this is where you get into a dilemma is if I want hydrometallurgical because I want a pure output, but I got to ship that thing across the country, you're going to have a high transportation cost. And, and so this is where pyro can be advantageous because if your battery is close to a pyro facility, you will keep your carbon footprint lower by less transportation, mm -hmm. but you're going to have a lower recovery rate. Mm -hmm. Net, net. Whether you operate a hydro or a pyro, you are a good business. Yeah. You have a point of advantage. You have a geographic range. We are working with them all, and we're gonna we're gonna help each one of them become successful. So, so how do we how do we close that loop? I mean, you know, you say sixty percent or potentially sixty percent of the total cost is is transportation. How do we reduce that cost? How do we make it easier uh, and and cheaper to ship? Sure, uh, I think. The starting point is uh, with a goal of handling the battery once. Mm -hmm. um, if we all have that goal. So handling a battery, roughly speaking, if you move one battery at a time, it's about 200 bucks Canadian mm -hmm. to move it. Um, you know, you, you, you don't want to touch that battery two times or three times. So, you know, the, the notion of let's group, let's ship these to a common area, let's hold them and group them together till you get a truckload is good. Um, but there's a cost to storage as well. And at some point it is less advantageous to storing these things. So, so, you know, what we as an industry collectively have to look at is how do we diagnose these batteries where, where they exist? Because once you can make a decision on that battery before you touch it, that helps you touch it once and get it to its right location, whether that's second life repurposing or whether that is a recycling for other types of use. Um, making that decision before you handle it once will keep costs down. And, and are you working on that di di diagnostic uh, capability? Is that something you're looking at? You know, so back to, to how we operate, um, mm. we coordinate everything. Right. And so yeah. we won't be the company that will do the technical side of diagnostics. Yeah. Yeah. But having said that, we are absolutely talking with companies who do diagnostics mm. because mm. we understand the need to have capabilities in the field. And um, these companies will be part of our, our network to help solve that problem for whoever um, owns the battery at that time. So whether you're a car manufacturer and, and you're responsible for that battery or whether you are a second life um, repurposer and now you have an energy storage unit, um, you know, the ability to have you in our network is advantageous because we have we could keep costs down. Yeah, brilliant. Now you mentioned a little while ago about, about the collection rate and, and you're saying that that was potentially up to sort of 40, 50, 60% of, of the batteries that go into the marketplace. Are there any incentives, initiatives uh, ongoing to, to encourage and increase that, that collection rate and actually get more, more batteries into the recycling chain? You know, and, and are you talking in a specific industry uh, when, when you ask the question or, or in general? In, in, in general, I mean, you know, is there anything, any, any encouragement initiatives for households to recycle more batteries or for, or for in industry to do industrial batteries? Sure. You know, I, at Canada and U.S. Um, are, are different in this area. Um, in Canada, 
we have a number of provinces that have regulated household batteries, consumer batteries, if you will. So whether that's a, a flashlight powering battery or a power tool battery, um, there's regulations for them to be recycled. And, and with that, in some provinces, there's a fee that is paid at the time of purchase. So, you know, the, the incentive, it's not like you're going to get money back. But um, the nice thing is if you're, if you're a resident in one of those provinces, you have a place to hand off your battery for recycling and you know that it's prepaid and, and it's going to go for, for that. So that has helped re, uh, the recovery rates. But generally speaking, and I, and I think North America, um, we, we need a collaborative solution here. Um, industry uh, needs to collaborate. Uh, government and industry need to look for a way to um, solve for batteries coming out of market. And um, certain guidelines are helpful when it comes from, from the, the government, but uh, too much is constrictive. I think this industry here is in its infancy, the whole recycling for electric vehicles, electric um, uh, e-bikes um, and, and buses and trucks. It, it's all new. And, and what we need to do here is um, as a group, find what is capable, what the networks are going to look like, where the gaps are today, because all the solutions aren't in place, Andy, um, not all the capabilities. And that will evolve over the next decade as, as volume starts to uh, increase. You know, it, here's a good place to look. Um, the EU um, has recently published a proposal for um, what some of the, the guidelines are. And, and in it, they have recovery rates. They have different types of processes. They talk about carbon footprint. They talk about um, ownership of the batteries. That type of guideline is very helpful when it's built between industry and, uh, and government that creates a, a, a platform, if you will, or a foundation where the industry could work together to have these batteries come out of market. We will come back to our conversation with Jeff in a moment. Salvage Wire have been supporting the vehicle recycling and dismantling industries for years with their specially designed accredited training courses on the safe handling of electric and hybrid vehicles. These courses are now even more relevant to the industry as volumes of these vehicles increase. So learn how to keep your team and your business safe by registering for one of our courses, many of which are now available online so you do not have to leave your office, your study or your workshop to complete the training. Contact SalvageWire through our, our website www.salvagewire.com Let's get back to our conversation with Jeff. Now, I heard something the other day um, that uh, sort of really shook me a little bit. And it's basically, it was, it was saying that if, um, and, and we'll take the USA as a country, but if the USA as a country recycled all of its, all of its uh, batteries, whatever the chemistry, um, it could become, and I, and I quote here, the Saudi Arabia of uh, rare earth metals right right yeah, and, I, I, and and that sort of that sort of took me took me back so can you outline the sort of you know the benefits to the environment the ben benefits to um to to the planet of recycling these batteries sure sure um i, I heard i heard that story too um in in the conversations um it, and it's a good one um you know, I, I guess if you fast forward 10 to 15 years, I, I do fundamentally believe we're going to be making batteries from used batteries in North America that will go back into the vehicles or the power storage units. I, I think that'll happen. The, the benefit here is um, 
how do you break this down? So a, a, an internal combustion engine vehicle has a certain amount of a carbon footprint. My understanding from what I've read and people I've talked to is that an electric vehicle, it, it, the, um, it'll be about seven years of benefits out of an eight year life. In essence, to get the, the, the lithium out of the ground, it costs one year of car life, mm -hmm. but you get seven years of benefits back because you're electric versus fuel, okay? So I think net-net move, moving to an electric propulsion system is going to be good for the environment, particularly from a carbon footprint and from tailpipe um, emissions. But th there's another side effect here. Mining lithium has a detriment on developing countries. It, it's positive because it creates jobs, which you need in developing countries. However, it can draw upwards of 65% of the area's water to the mine. And, and water is a scarce resource in some areas, and you have to question whether that's the right thing to do. Which brings us back to North America. Um, I believe we need to find a way to make new batteries from old batteries. And I think it's gonna happen. And that might be able to create maybe 25% of supply back into North America from batteries that, that originate out of here. So that reduces the, the need for mining, that reduces the need for water generation, that will reduce um, heavy carbon footprint from the act of mining, but it'll be offset by some factories running uh, here. I think net net, that will be a positive movement for, for the environment. Brilliant, that's amazing. That's amazing. And you know, anybody listening you know, can, can take something away from this. It is you know, the benefit that the recycling community and the recycling activity brings to um, business and industry and ultimately, you know, what it does for the planet. Um, you know, absolutely amazing. Now, obviously, you know, you've held a number of different positions across your working life and you've not sat back and rested on, on your success. What drives you to continuously move forward, to grow your knowledge, your skills and your influence? Uh, yeah, I, I thirst for learning, uh, mm -hmm. continuous learning. Uh, mm -hmm. I, I've never been one to sit back and just uh, say, well, that was great, stop. <laughs> um, and I think as I get older and a little bit more wisdom, you start to realize you don't know everything and what else can you, can you tackle? I think that's tied back into what I said where we started mm -hmm. was um, mm -hmm. I, I really like leaving things in a, in a better mm -hmm. uh, place mm -hmm. when, when you look to the, to the future. Um, so I find that motivating. Um, I've worked with a gentleman for about a dozen years right now. His name's David. Um, we talk religiously every month and, and we'll talk about um, business strategy, um, uh, corporations. We'll talk about culture, people, um, people development. And, and the, the cool thing there is while we're talking a little bit broadly, he always brings it back to me. Okay, Jeff, what did you learn about that? Where did you err? How could you improve the situation next time? And he holds me accountable and that that makes me a better leader um and 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 i think a better person as as you know we tackle this project here about um you know the the electric mobility space um you know it, it we have a bunch of different companies who are trying to solve a similar problem and we all have to collaborate and i think the the maturity that comes with a few years and working in a few different businesses stands well as you start to try to pull companies together to solve common problems Agree, completely agree. And you know, based around that, what sort of advice could you give any young and aspiring leaders who want to grow and develop their leadership skills in, in the industry? Or in other words, what yeah. would what advice would the current Jeff give to the 22 year old Jeff? <laughs> oh my God, going back 30 years. <laughs> hey, you know, um, it, it, 
God, I, I, I read something, and I think it was from uh, Warren Buffett, but uh, the, the notion here that uh, working in an expanding industry versus a contracting industry, you could take an amazing leadership team and put it in a contracting industry and they will struggle. So if you take that back to someone who's coming at the age of 22, you got to find a place that's expanding because you, you want to ride and grow with that. And, and this industry is perfect for it. So if I, if I define this industry as basically, um, what do you do with a battery at the end of its useful life? Um, there, there is a number of places to go. You, you could be going down the safety side of things. You could be going down the logistics, the uh, technical side of recycling. You could be working in a refurbishing environment. You could be working for a car company, a bike company, a bus company, a truck company. Um, you could be work, working for a ride-sharing operation. Um, and, and whether you are in R&D, in sales, or in, in um, a higher you know, aspiration to be in a higher executive role, um, this is expanding and it requires problem solving. So it, a couple of specific things I would say is, uh, you know, be humble, be hungry and be smart with, with your approach. Don't assume that you know everything. Things will surprise you. I'm being surprised every day as I have these conversations. Um, get trained in the area that you enjoy working. And if you're working very specifically with batteries, get certified. You, you, these are dangerous goods. Make sure you know how to handle them. Make sure you know what to do with them. Make sure you understand the risks. Um, and then I would say collaborate. Uh, you know, I, I think that word's come up a couple of times because mm. I, I, I'm living it right now is um, not one company is going to solve this industry. We will have to collaborate together and, and share and be open and trustworthy. And I think for someone new starting out, the more trustworthy you are to others and, and others are to you, and you share more openly, I think you will solve problems and I think you're going to go farther. Amazing. Absolutely amazing. That's incredible. And you obviously, I mean, yeah, from, from what you do, you obviously read a lot. Um, you know, have you got a, a management leadership book um, that you've read in the last 12 months that you'd recommend to, to our listeners? <laughs> last 12 and, months. And, and, yeah. and why? Yeah, sure, sure. Um, I mean, I've read a few books. Uh, I, I got a bookshelf here beside me, and uh, you go back to Jack Welch's original book, mm -hmm. or Phil Knight and mm -hmm. uh, his book on Shoe Dog, or, or um, Steve Jobs's book, his biography. I mean, they're all classics. Um, the most recent one, uh, I would say, is Bob Iger's book. Um, he's the just recent former CEO of Walt Disney Company. Read it uh, this past fall. Um, Interesting contrast, actually. So here, here's a gentleman who has led one of the biggest entertainment companies in the world. And let's compare him to Jack Welch, both highly successful. Mm -hmm. Welch's book is something like 600 pages with a dozen key learnings. And Bob Iger's book is about 200 pages with 15 key learnings, right? So it just shows you don't, you don't have to write this long thing to, to get the, the insights. But here's what I really appreciated is I know Disney. I think everybody knows Disney. And, and in his book, he referenced his time at um, ABC, the television network, before it was acquired by Disney. And he talked about TV shows and actors that I knew and I watched growing up. And I was like, oh, my God, this guy had a say in, in this show coming on air. And then his company is acquired by Disney and he becomes CEO. And, and in his book, he talks about movies that I watch. Um, he talks about, uh, you know, the theme parks that we go to with our kids. Um, and it's, you, it's very relatable, I would tell you. Anything Bob talks about is highly relatable. So back, back to just a couple of the learnings. Um, 
a couple that, that struck me here. He, he talks about tell great stories, sorry, to tell great stories, mm -hmm. you need great talent. And, and I take a lot away from that. Um, storytelling is critical. We all do it from the time we're five years old and our parents read us stories. We love telling stories at the water cooler. Um, and to, to tell those great stories, you need good people. And what he's really getting at is, is to make an impact in society or in a business, you need amazing people who can do amazing things. Um, that to me resonated the biggest. Um, he, he also talked about start positive and start big. Um, so start positive. Like, you know, whenever we talk to people, we could talk, it's like, hey, you know, that was really good. I like what you did there. Or you could say that sucked. And his point was always start with the good and always start big. The big, the big things, the, the things that matter. Because I think the opposite of that, so if you start negative and you start small, you probably come across as nitpicking as a leader. And that, that sucks, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, I, I remember that when I read that. It's like, you know, always be positive and always deal with the big issues. Mm -hmm. um, and it, one last one on this topic, I think is, um, Bob, Bob said, uh, it, it should be about the future. It's not about the past. And, and he had that learning at the time that he took over CEO because um, before him, uh, the CEO had been around for a number of years and had done some amazing things for the corporation. But we were entering a new time, as he says, they were entering a new time and he couldn't dwell on the past. He had to look to the future to create the new strategy. And that is so true. What got you here is amazing, but it won't get you there. That was incredible. Absolutely amazing. And, you know, I've, over the last couple of days, I've, I've recorded a few podcasts and recorded a few of these and coming through loud and clear on, 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 on at least three of them, um, you know, has been that storytelling. Yes. And, and, and you know, and, and that's come through really clearly. And uh, it's amazing, absolutely amazing how, how, how just telling stories is so, is so beneficial. Yeah. And, and, and during this time of COVID, eh, Andy, like, yeah, we can't see each other physically face to face. You can't go do an experience mm. together. You can't break bread together over a meal. Mm. So here we are on video and, and storytelling is so important to keep your teams together and focused. Yeah, completely agree. Absolutely. That's amazing. Is there one thing that the Canadian government could do that would have the biggest benefit to the battery recycling industry or, 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 or even just call, call to recycle? And what would that be and why? Sure, sure. Um, you know, you know what's cool with the, the Canadian government, uh, and, and I'm impressed, um, they, they're come out, they've come out with a strategy, an end-to-end -end strategy for the whole electric uh, industry, if you will. So all the way from mining through manufacturing through to recycling. And you're starting to see um, the investments coming. So there, there's discussions around mines and whether it's um, cobalt or uh, nickel or lithium mines. There's investments being made in, in car um, OEMs for factories that will produce electric vehicles. There is already um, uh, two hydrometallurgical facilities up and running in Canada. There is investments being made into innovation centers and hubs. So you see that from the federal and provincial governments happening today, and, and I'm proud. I'm really proud of that. You know, where do you, where do you go from here? Um, I, I go just go back to collaboration, um, industry and government need to continue to work together to close the gaps in this strategy that that need closing because because not all of them have been dealt with um, as yet and and I'm back to you know government should put some guiding principles in place 
but they need to let industry be um, commercial and do what they do best with without too many constrictions because when you let a free market society run that is where you get the best outcome for the businesses and for the people wow that is amazing i love it absolutely love it brilliant one final question and uh, and we'll you know we'll close on this question and we ask all our guests on the podcast this final question what was your first car and do you have any special memories of that mm -hmm. car <laughs> my first car uh, for sure i remember it <laughs> So it's like yesterday, a, a 1981 Honda Prelude. Um, that was my, you know, I, mean, I think like all of us, we start driving our parents' cars. And then uh, our, ours was a, we had a station wagon, we had a hatchback, you know, typical mid-level uh, mid car. So then I had my chance to buy my first vehicle for 2000 bucks and it was across the street. My neighbor across the street was a 20 something who had just finished university. And so I bought it off of him stick shift so manual it was silver outside uh had a red interior um it was it was somewhere around 75 to 100 horsepower right like and i think that was probably big for at the time i mean today's cars obviously you know we're pushing a, a few hundred horsepower it, it was light i remember that absolutely light as anything i was able to drive it to university and back uh you know i lived in montreal so i, I had to make my way to the university and back it, that was fun that was freedom Really, I guess if you had to use a word, that was freedom. Mm -hmm. Yeah, good question. Thanks for asking. <laughs> Amazing. We've had some wonderful stories of, of, again, back to stories of people and their cars and uh, and yeah, the different cars that that people have had. Yeah. Um, I think that might be the first Honda that we've had that we've had. Uh, was it? You know, particularly, but, the, particularly the UK guys who had, had loads of people had had the original Mini as their first car. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I can see. Actually, you know, my dad had the Mini. He yeah. told me about that story. He had the, uh, his original car was the Mini. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Honda had come into Canada, I think, not long before yeah. that uh, Prelude became available. Yeah. So that was, that was their only sportier car. Yeah. And uh, hey, that's what I could afford. It was across the street and for sale. So Why not? I jumped. <laughs> Why not? Amazing. Thank you. Jeff, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us. And, uh, and particularly, I mean, I've, you know, I, I use these sessions as, as, as consultation for me as well. Uh, and I get so much out of it and I just write pages of notes as, as, as people are talking. Great to hear. And, uh, and I've learned so much, particularly about the recycling of, of, of batteries from this really, really good. So thank you very much for you're welcome. Yeah, it was a pleasure, pleasure being on. And uh, yeah, I'd love to come back again sometime in the future as things evolve, get, uh, close some of those gaps in the stories. Indeed. Thank you for that. Much All right. A big thank you to Jeff for his time and knowledge. You will find more details on Call to Recycle in the notes for this episode. Please subscribe and take the time to like and share this podcast with your friends and colleagues and give us a rating. And we look forward to seeing you on our next podcast. Mm -hmm.